Hi, this is Wilson with Renew Church OC. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. We're a church for imperfect people only. We're in our series, LA is Corinth. Because as we walk through 1 Corinthians, we see so many similarities between that city and ours. Like LA, it was a port city filled with wealth and immigration. It was a sports capital, second only to the Olympics. Like LA, it was extremely sexualized with Aphrodite as the goddess of love and her temple just outside the city. A part of worshiping her was sleeping with one of her 1,000 priestess. Lastly, like LA, the church was deeply divided along political lines. Sound familiar? And the whole time, Paul is trying to call the community of Christ to live Christian values in the midst of this culture, and it's a fight. As we walk through this letter, we are encouraged and called in the same ways to live for Jesus while living in L.A. All right. Ooh, that was loud. All right. I'm going to start bringing us back together. And uh, as we were just sharing in group and as I was just hearing the murmurs, I feel like this topic brings up a lot of emotions. There's a lot of words that come to mind. And I'm sure that I'll be addressing some of them that came up. And I think it's really important that we look back at 2020. I think a lot of us feel like, let's leave that in the past. Let's bury that year. I'm pretty done with that. That was a a wasted year. I think I've heard a lot of in the past. And I actually think the opposite. I think there was so many hard things about this past year, but there's still so much to process, right? There was still so many hurts, so many misses. And I think there's a lot of grace here. As we've gotten a year out from 2020, we're a good eight months in, we've got a little healthy separation for us to talk about this again. And when I think of this past year, the church was really divided. It was split on almost every single fault line that you could think of. I'm thinking of political lines. Did you vote for Trump or did you vote for Biden? Did you, are you anti-mask or are you for masks? Are you anti-vax or for the vax? There was Black Lives Matter and Back the Blue. It felt like at every single argument there was a split and there was picking sides. And do you just feel tense hearing some of these words? I know I do when I'm with my friends or with my family or I'm in in circle social groups. I think I'll just feel a little tense at times. I'm kind of alert. I have like a response ready. I'm ready to um, do broad strokes, maybe disarm, um, and maybe be a little broad. And I get it. They have so much stored emotion in these words. Um, And the church was really fracturing, fracturing. We struggled to find our voice. We were angry a lot of times. I think we were confused, too. I think a lot of times we weren't sure who was really with us or who was against us. And if it wasn't happening, uh, if we weren't at each other's necks, and I think maybe that's the grace of COVID, we weren't actually strangling each other, it was definitely happening online. I'm talking about the keyboard warriors came out, the Twitter fingers, the bashing on Facebook, even the memeing, the, the subtle harshness and making jokes of the other side. And I think a lot of people got hurt. And I think a lot of people felt missed. And I think I was one of them. I remember a time uh, when a brother, uh, or a time I was really struggling with the Black Lives Matter movement. There was a brother who had shared a sentiment um, online talking about 
maybe that we should be careful um, to not misplace our emotions. That it shouldn't turn from our hurts, that we shouldn't turn to anti-white speech uh, with the dear white people slogans and so forth. And I just really, re I really resonated with that. I really felt like, hey, I agree with this sentiment. I've seen at times the product of this movement has sometimes that voice. And I remember scrolling through and I just saw the name calling. It was bigot, racist, xenophobe, right, tone deaf. We've all heard these words. Our kids uh, know how to define these words probably earlier than they should have. And as I was reading through these comments, I felt like they were calling me that every single time. And that made me want to just hide and just diminish my voice and just retreat back where it was safe. Uh, I thought to myself, if I didn't open my mouth, then they, there's no way they could get me, right? I'm safe. They, there's nothing they can hold me to. Uh, but then that's when the sayings of your silence is violence was coming out, right? And that was just sowing so much seeds of doubt for so many of us that were trying to collect our thoughts on this whole situation. And when I think of all this division and all the pain and all the hurts that come with these words, I remember that God's word speaks on this. Paul reminds us that there are brothers and sisters that have been here before us. They have shown us this. They have been through it. We can learn from them. And to be honest, it was way worse for them. It was way, way, way worse for them. They were playing favorites. They were creating factions. They were having sexual relationships with their own stepmother. And now we're going to read today that they were even taking each other to court. And the crazy part of this is I stopped and realized we're on chapter 6 and that we're not even halfway done with the epistle yet. We have a lot more to go, a lot more content, uh, and it just speaks to the gross immorality and division that was happening here. They had lost sight of who they were. So if you guys would join me and jump to 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 8. This is the scripture we're going to be going through. And, um, and verse 1 says, If any of you has a dispute with one another... Do you dare take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Does this sound familiar to you guys? How many times did we take disputes to the wrong place? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels how much more the things of this life? We are to rule at the end of this age alongside Christ. And here Paul is saying, can you guys not settle this amongst yourselves? Do you not have each other? Do you not have the word of the spirit to help you along and guide you in, in judging these trivial cases? And we continue in verse 4, and it says, Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother takes another to court, and this is in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your own brothers and sisters. There's two things happening in the text right here. The first is the church, the bride, is stained and muddied. We see that clearly in verse 6. In front of unbelievers, by bringing these disputes 
to public. The community is coming to watch. They're coming to gather. The court was their, their source of entertainment at times. They'd be like, I don't know, what do you want to do today? Uh, maybe let's go down to the court and see what drama is stirring up. And the community is watching and thinking, what is going on with the church right now? Is this not antithetical to Jesus' teaching? Is this not opposite of his teaching? This is completely different from loving one another, forgiving one another, and laying up your treasures in heaven. But here they are in court. And the second thing that we see here is we see um, that they suffer moral defeat. Verse 7. And in Bible study this past week, we have uh, the student that I absolutely love, um, Robert. He's a law student, and he's a court clerk. So he's been around the system. He's been around these people. Um, and uh, it already was way too he, – he, I love what he says. When it gets to the lawyers, it's already way too late. Everyone just wants to see blood. And I thought to myself, is this not greed? Is this not power? Is this not an eye for an eye? They don't, in the court, they don't care for relationship. They don't care for unity. The second the lawsuit is filed, that relationship is on a path for destruction. And in that courtroom, it was probably really hard to tell apart from who the believers were and who the unbelievers were. And I want to pause as we look at this text, and I want to be very careful with this text as we, to make sure that we're interpreting this, that we're reading it correctly. Paul is not anti-government. He's not anti-judicial system. He's not trying to take the man down. He's actually quite the opposite. In Romans 13, we read that it says he's very pro-governing authorities, that we are to subject ourselves to them, that we are to submit to them, that God has appointed these leaders and systems to exercise a level of authority to exercise a level of justice here. And so I want to be very, very clear. If someone in our community is being stalked, is being attacked, physically abused, raped, we're going directly to the police. And we would also invite our church leaders to shepherd in those moments and processes too. But what we are reading right here in the text is that the church in Corinth was filing lawsuits against one another. They are seeking money. They're seeking reparations. They're victimizing one another. And that's why Paul says, are we not competent enough to judge such trivial cases? And so when conflicts arise, the Corinthian church needed to do two things. They needed to first seek and trust in the spiritual authorities over them. We see this in verse 5. Our pastors and elders are ordained by God. They are given to us and equipped to us to point us back to Christ, specifically for these moments when there's divisions, when there's disagreements. They are there for us to serve us and be a part of the body. And we read this in Hebrews 13, 17. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. We do this at Renew. We do this in our ethics documents. We do this uh, in church discipline. We even submit and subject to the calling that we have for the city. We latch on to the heart and vision that's been given to our pastors and elders. And so that is a perfect picture of submitting to spiritual authorities. And the second thing that the Corinthian church needed to do is seek reconciliation and restoration in the body. 
And I get it. Conceptually, you're like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That, that sounds really good to me. But I think in our sinful selves and our sinful ways, when we've been hurt, re- reconciliation and restoration is sometimes the last thing that we want, right? So instead of these members having a heart for love and peace, they took the world's way of settling disputes. They took it to court. They fought over stuff, stuff, money, material items. They want to see blood, remember? And there's no relationship or mending there. That's not the lawyer's job is to make sure that everyone gets along well. The lawyer's job is to get blood and get results, right? And so they suffered defeat the second the lawsuit was made. And so the church is called to unity. We see that in 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Uh, Paul speaks to the same church, and he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. This is the charge that Paul gives. And my question is, is do you desire this same unity with your brother and sister? Do you seek restoration knowing that God has called us to this? Do you submit to the spiritual authority here? Do you allow your pastors to shepherd you? Do you allow your shepherds to shepherd you? So earlier this month, um, I wanted to share a story with you guys. And uh, I served at Royal Family Kids Camp that Pastor Wilson was sharing about and that Erwin was sharing about. And uh, I seriously loved it. It was the best camp ever. Uh, We got to serve these foster kids, and I finally got to be a big brother. Uh, I'm a little brother, so being a big brother is uh, the best. (laughs) What I say goes. Um, (laughs) So all that was flaring up. Um, But we played basketball. We ate s'mores. We did cannonballs. Um, Pretty much the perfect life, right? Um, And every day, if I could recite a Bible verse correctly, they would give me a piece of candy. And I thought that when I recite a Bible verse here, uh, no one gives me anything. And so, so camp was amazing. I wish I was there. <laughs> but I didn't want to leave. Um, but to be honest with you, it wasn't perfect there also. Um, it was six full days in the hot sun. Uh, we never really stopped moving. We never stopped moving. Uh, it's easy for the camp counselors to rub each other the wrong way. We're tired, we're caffeinated, uh, not to mention we go to different churches, we disagree on passages in the Bible. Oh, and uh, another counselor mentioned he voted for a different candidate, and he wanted to have that conversation. Uh, So I was like, all right, all right. And when I think about it, there's something really beautiful about the way that camp was run, something really beautiful. Amy, uh, who shared at our church before, if you guys remember about a month ago, she's an incredible leader. She's faithful. She really leads out of who she is. And that's someone that just die hard, loves these kids, loves that camp. And having a leader like her was really freeing in a lot of ways. It was really freeing. I could go to her whenever she was available. Uh, She was approachable. And if a dispute ever came up, I could talk to her. And that doesn't mean that she was on my side or uh, immediate action would always take place, but it was freeing just to know that she would handle it, that there was this mutual trust and respect and submission that I know that she's going to handle it. It's not just me handling it alone, but now I have someone with me that is supporting me from a place of knowing my heart. 
So submitting to Amy at RFKC was a blessing, and this is the blessing in submitting to our leaders. It's a win-win situation, really. It's, it's also really the step in seeking reconciliation with anyone. And so despite our differences, these kids had the best foster camp week ever. Uh, there was this camper that I got really attached to. Uh, we try not to get too attached because we don't play favorites. Uh, but let's call, uh, let's call him Roman. And I just remember on the second night, as we're getting ready for bed, brushing our teeth, he taps me on the shoulder. And he says, Kevin, I can't sleep. And I, immediately my thought was like, I'm kind of worried. Like, you know, this is six days. This is day two. You're not sleeping. Uh, he said, I can't sleep because I'm so excited to wake up. And, yeah, I was like, I get that. I am with you. I can't sleep either, kind of. Um, and, at the end, and at the end, I remember him coming up to me at the bus, and he said this was the best week of his nine-year-old life. Uh, and that just melted even the hardest of hearts. And so there's no conflict with a counselor that's going to get in the way of doing that. We have our differences, but we never allowed it to go too far or take away from our purpose there at camp. And that was to serve and love these kids like Jesus would. I want to share another camper with you. Um, his name is James. Let's, uh, I call him like my little Clint Eastwood. He's like a man that's in a little man's body. He's a real tough guy. Um, but he'll light up the room when he's scoring goals in soccer or when he's getting bullseyes. And I just remember walking to the buses and just tears and tears, tears coming down. And I put my arm around him and I say, it's okay, I, I, I understand, James. I'm, I'm with you and I'm crying too. And then he pushes away from me and he says, I'm not crying. Something just flew in my eye. And then he runs onto the bus. And that was our goal, um, not to make kids cry, but, uh, but that was our goal for these kids to share a tangible expression of Christ's love for them. And I think we did that. I saw it on their faces. Those, those faces couldn't be lying. And I think RFKC was this beautiful picture of church being played out, that we had our differences, but we were still brothers and sisters and we knew our purpose. We knew our purpose, that why we were there. We were combined and unified in the same purpose and who we are. And we shared the same Heavenly Father that has stirred in our hearts. And so we worshiped God in heart and service together. And it was the best week ever. And I can't wait for next year. And when we look back at this passage, in the heart, we see Paul address this issue in the Corinthian church. Paul reminds us that our first and primary identity is Christ. It's being a Christian. And the church in Corinth really, really struggled here. They stopped seeing each other as brothers and sisters, and they exchanged it for these cheap identities. I mean, we see it all throughout the scripture that we're reading in the past few weeks. They were saying, I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. I follow uh, Paul. And Paul's saying, where's the one that follows Jesus? Secondly, they said, uh, their wealth, chapter 5, verse 7, Paul says, what do you have that you did not receive? And why are you acting like you didn't receive it? Why are you boasting as if you did this all yourself? Where is God in this picture? And thirdly, they took identity in their own wisdom. Paul, again, 
addresses it. Chapter 1, verse 20. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the debater of this age? God makes foolish of the wisdom of the world, right? Again and again, Paul calls them out of this pridefulness and for being puffed up. And I'm telling you now, if our identity is in anything but Christ, we have sorely, sorely, sorely missed. And there's nothing that's separating us from the other guy that loves money, that loves wealth, that loves himself, that's completely infatuated with his life. There's nothing separating us from that. And that leads to my first point. Churches are divided when we put our identity in things over our identity in Jesus Christ and God's family. In the very beginning, we said Republican, Democrat, anti-vax, vax, racial ties, social justice, all these things. Do we identify more with a non-Christian Democrat than a brother or sister that voted for Trump? Are we favoring people at church who we click with, who we get along real with, but don't value others in the church the same way? See, I think we've taken stock and identity in these things, and we've just ran with them. We've just been identifying with these issues and camps more than the family of God, and that's where we've missed. We label and look at each other as left, right, uh, millennial, boomer, uh, anti-masker, and woke. The name-calling continues, and we put them in these categories that is not brother or beloved or sister. And then what happens? We point fingers, don't we? We bicker. We condemn each other like no other. The division grows and grows. And we've felt this chasm. We felt this. And have we forgotten so quickly? Again, Paul talks about this from the get-go, that our identity is in Christ, chapter 1, verse 10, that you may be united in the same mind, same judgment. Chapter 6, verse 11, but you were washed. You were sanctified, brother. You were justified, sister. In the name of Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Have we forgotten this? Our identity in Christ surpasses all of these other identities. We were washed, we were cleaned, amen. As fellow heirs of the same body, the same Father, the same grace, this is our identity. We have a lot more in common in church than we think. And this is my second point, that a mature Christian avoids taking his brother or sister to court. Paul isn't asking us to never have disputes. That would be impossible. That would be a miracle. Um, And it's a real part of having differences and being challenged here on earth. But saying that the godly way is to settle these disputes together under the spiritual covering of this church and of the headship and doing it together And when we take each other to court, the church suffers. It hurts. We see this. We read this, that they've suffered defeat already. We forget our identity as spiritual family, and we lose sight of what truly matters. It's elevating the dispute over the person that they are. We are elevating these titles, anti-vaxxer, anti-mask, over brother and sister. And really, when you guys think about when a lawsuit is filed... Um, For those that have been in a lawsuit, uh, I don't know. Don't raise your hands. But um, when you think about a lawsuit, they're very vicious. They're very very wicked. um, And the process is very, it has to harden your heart. You're compiling all the things that they've ever done. 
You're looking online, scouring their history on how you can cancel them or bring it up in court. Uh, you're making a list of all the wrongdoings that they've ever done, and you're ready to prosecute them. You're ready to go. Close the case, nail in the coffin. You're getting what you want. And while there are no lawsuits at Renew that I can think of, um, this is your moment to come forth. <laughs> but I'm just kidding. But we still prosecute each other, don't we? We still prosecute each other all the time. Does this sound familiar to you? It's when we gossip in the church. It's when a brother sinned. It's when someone's had drinks at the wedding. We pick sides in the breakup. We think a leader is unfit to serve. I mean, the list goes on and on. And we do this to our own brothers and sisters, our own pastors here at this church, our own church. And the worst part is we don't always allow a defense all the time, do we? We text in group chats, we sneak in little backhanded comments, um, and we write each other off and we avoid them at church, right? Without ever seeking reconciliation or a heart to forgive or asking to be shepherded. We lose sight of our identity as brothers and sisters and exchange it for these cheap camps and ideologies. Our identity in Christ surpasses all of these. We are sons and daughters of the Most High. We share in the resurrection. We share in the Imago Dei. And we share, we share in the same need for Christ. And because that's our true identity, that it's okay to have disagreements, right? But I want us to focus on that it's important how we handle our disagreements that marks a mature Christian. It's seeking reconciliation, and it's seeking and trusting in the counsel of our leaders, knowing that this is what a healthy family looks like. And this is the kind of church that I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of that kind of church that handles conflict well, that seeks reconciliation. And that's the mature way of doing it. That's God's way. That renews disputes wouldn't drive a wedge between us, but actually that they would drive us closer for our need for Christ. And that it would challenge us to love broken and different people. That's mature and healthy family acknowledging our flaws, our brokenness, and yet remaining faithful as one body, as one mind, same mind in Christ. And uh, as I enter into our third point and our last one and wrapping up, our Christian identity is what unites us. I want to take a good look at us, Renew. We didn't have uh, the best year, did we? Not the best year either. And at some point, I think we've all felt really missed this past year. I think we all felt that. We've even felt silenced. I definitely get that. It's hard being in the minority. It's hard. It was hard being a Christian this past year. And yet I pause to think about us. We had so many opportunities to divide, to fall on these fault lines, to go somewhere else, to divide. And, and, and I look at us now and I see how much more meaningful it is that we are here today. We addressed, uh, or in, a, in this past year, rather than lose people, we, we grew. We're in this gym now. We welcome more people into our family. And at BLM, during its peak in that summer, we addressed it, and we supported our hurting community. And when pornography use skyrocketed, we had a sexual addiction workshop. 
When January 6th happened with the attack on the Capitol, we held a prayer night. We prayed for our nation. We prayed for our leaders, even the ones we don't like. And we continued building off of last week. We continued to talk about LGBTQ and how we can love that community and be challenged by that. Instead of shying away from it, we've invited people from that community, and they've come to our church. So I'm proud of our church family. Whether we disagreed with each other completely or not, we never disowned each other. And that's really what families are, that we're messy, we're imperfect, we argue, but they're still family. And so sitting next to you guys to your right is your brother. And sitting next to you to your left is your sister. And my prayer is that you would continue to see them that way. That we wouldn't shy away from the hard, but instead we would look for bridges. We would look for ways to meet each other's needs. We would support each other in our hurts. These are the marks of a mature Christian and a mature church. That we don't elevate these disputes over our Christian identity as brothers and sisters. Christ is the very one who unites us and has bound us together in love. And let's just choose to see the best in each other. I really think that we've been doing that really well this past year and that we should continue to do that. And if we fight, would we fight for the relationship? Would we join together and choose to put their brotherhood and sisterhood above the issue and seek for roads and seek for reconciliation. And let's tell each other that we're family. Because we need to hear it sometimes. I know I do. I definitely need to hear that. That I'm not going anywhere. And that God has and can give me so much love for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, just for your grace and your kindness this morning. Lord, I just pray that you would continue to stir uh, in our hearts, just a desire to know this word, Lord, and to live in unity, Lord, that we would seek to be healers for this family, Lord, that you would place brothers and sisters on our heart that we maybe haven't treated the best in the past. And Lord, I just ask that uh, we would just lead out of this place of knowing how much we need you and how much we need a Savior. And so, Father, would you just move in our community? Would you bind us together closer in love? And we just ask that all that we do and all our efforts, failed or not, that they would just exalt you and glorify you higher. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.